Well, <clears throat> we are in a sermon series called Come and See Jesus in the Gospel of John, where we're walking through the Gospel of John and, and just asking the same two questions every week. We're asking, what is this passage, what does this text tell us about who Jesus is? And, and then we're asking, what does that mean for us? Uh, and today we're going to be looking at John 13, verses 18 through 30. Uh, and it's going to be a good text to have in front of you because I'm going to, and Shannon's going to drill, drill you down into some very particular parts of the text. Um, so it'd be good to have in front of you. As we preach this today, Shannon and I are going to do a tag team sermon, uh, and he's going to focus on the, what does this tell us about God question. So he's going to focus in on uh, the fact that, that this text shows us that God is sovereign, that he's in control, he works everything, even things like betrayal for his good, and he's going to focus in on uh, the fact that Jesus is loving, having a disciple whom he loved, and showing love to Judas even after all the messes in there. I'm going to focus in on, on what does that mean for us. I'm going to show how it's an encouragement for us and how it helps us believe and how that then propels us into mission. And then I'm going to focus in on how this text as a whole calls us to some levels of introspection before we come to the table. But with that, John chapter 13, verses 18 through 30. Listen for God's word to you. It starts with Jesus speaking. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know what, which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as <coughs> Judas had taken the bread, he went out. And it was night. This is the word of the Lord. I love a good story. Um, more particularly... I love a good long-form character study of someone with a tragic flaw, something dark and twisty. Um, they have this tragic flaw that leads them ultimately to their destruction. Um, I love those stories. The anti-hero, the good guy who makes some bad decisions that spiral out of control and ultimately comes to a point of no return. And then 
he calmly, coldly chooses darkness. But then from that point of no return, it's really interesting. It's always fascinating to see how justice comes for them. How justice comes eventually. And it all comes crashing down. It's tempting to look at Judas that way. What was going on in his life behind the scenes? What decisions or motives had things spinning so out of control for him that he does what he does? It's important to remember, this isn't about Judas. It's not about him at all. It's about Jesus. It's about His power working this terrible betrayal for His ultimate purpose. And we can start by going back to last week. If you remember, there are a couple of important moments that we kind of went over to get to the foot washing. In John 13, 1 and 2, if you want to look at that again, um, just glancing over that, it says, Jesus knew the time had come. Jesus is always first to know. And then in verses 2 and 3, it says, the devil had already prompted Judas to betray him. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knows what is happening, and he knows what is going to happen. Verses 10 and 11 there in, verse thir- in chapter 13 says, Jesus very pointedly says, your whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. Wow, a statement like that is huge. A betrayal at this, pure, at this point really is, is pure evil. It's cruel. It's personal. Jesus was laying the groundwork, though, for today's passage. A passage warning that not everyone in the room that night was with them. Now, what do we see about Jesus? And as we look at Jesus, we start thinking about what that says about me, what that says about you. Jesus is sovereign. He's completely in control. But He also knows that He needs to help His disciples to not shake them irreparably, but to give them something to hold on to with faith. And so Jesus in this passage pulls from Scripture to show that all is being fulfilled and that they can believe without reservation. Take a look at verse 18. I'm not referring to all of you, I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the Scriptures. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. He is quoting from Psalm 41.9. Many, many, many years before Judas was going to live and before Judas was going to do what he was going to do. And also in a final warning to Judas, he says, your plan has been, long, long before, has been known long before you even existed. Even a couple chapters back in John 6, verse 70. Jesus, just after He had explained to Himself, explained Himself as the bread of life, and that the Spirit gives words of life, some disciples had turned away, and Jesus is left with the twelve, and He looks at the twelve and He says, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Jesus knows. And then in this, in this passage, in verse 19, Jesus tells them outright what He is doing. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am He. Verse 21, He says, one of you is going to betray Me. He knows it. 
but he's going to use it for his purpose. And then it's interesting in verse 27, he tells Judas, what you're about to do, do it quickly. Jesus is in control. He's not worried. He knows what's coming. The game is up for Judas. Judas knows that Jesus knows, but Jesus is still the one dictating the action. And our sermon title today is An Assuring Prediction. All of what Jesus says today is meant to strengthen their faith for what is to come. As Jesus demonstrates His sovereign power, even in this dark moment, what courage and comfort does that give us? And I think that's a big part of Jesus' point here, right? He wants to give us courage. He wants to encourage us and give us hope. Because let's just be honest, we need it, right? There, there are times, there are moments when we're like, God, are you really in control? And, and Jesus knows that we're going to have those moments. Uh, we're going to have those moments where we're like, God, what are you doing? Do you have control? Do you know? Do you understand? Are you, are you actually in charge of this? And Jesus knew big time that that was going to happen to his disciples, right? I mean, think about it. Judas was not only close to Jesus, he was close to all these other disciples. He was their friend. He, he knew them. And so, so when Judas betrays Jesus, think of the questions that would have come to those disciples in that moment. Is Judas right? Is Jesus not the Messiah? Is, is, is he not who he said he is, those questions were going to come. And, th and then more questions were going to come, right? Like, Jesus, if, if you're really God, if you're really sovereign, if you're really who you say you are and have shown who you are in all these ways, how could you pick Judas? And it's going to call all of Jesus' choices into question. How could you choose me? How can I trust your next choice? All of this is why Jesus reveals that he's going to be betrayed because he wants them to go, no, 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 this is part of the plan. I knew this all along. This was actually in the scriptures centuries before all this happened. It's, it's, it's going to be okay. And, and those disciples needed that because of what they were going to encounter. They needed to be encouraged. Do you? Do you have these moments where you're like, God, are you really in control? Because this doesn't feel like it. And then we go back and we look at the scriptures and Jesus says, oh yeah, this is going to happen, but in this world you're going to have trouble. But relax, I've, I've overcome the world. We need this encouragement. But we don't just need encouragement, we, we need to believe. I, I want you to look at verse 19 for a second. Because it tells us very specifically what we need to believe. I am telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Now, don't miss this. Did you notice that I am who I am? Do you remember, if you've been in this series for a while, Jesus has these seven I am statements? 
sometimes with a predicate, uh, the seven I am statements with a predicate, but then he's got these occasional I am statements that are just I am statements. And whenever Jesus uses the word I am, he's making a claim to divinity. Because in Exodus, when Moses asked God his name, God replied, my name is I am. I am that I am. I am who I am. Jesus is making that claim. He's like, same thing Moses, I am that I am. And this is so sacred, so intentional, that what's the third of the Ten Commandments? Don't take my name in vain. So Jesus isn't doing this vainly. He's not doing this haphazard. He's very intentionally saying, I'm God. That's what you're supposed to believe about Jesus, that he is God. He's telling you all these things so that you will believe that he is God. And why do you need to believe that he is God? So you can be encouraged, so you can press forward, so that you can trust that he does work all things for good, that he has unlimited power, that he has unlimited knowledge, that he has unlimited goodness. That's why you need to believe this. That's why he's telling you this, so that you can believe this. And you particularly need to believe it when it comes to mission. Look at verse 20 for a second. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. All right, now back up. Look at verse 19. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever, it feels like a non sequitur. Like, how does this connect? It feels like this one-off verse, but, but when you dive into it, it makes a ton of sense and it becomes very impact, impactful. Because when do you most need to believe that Jesus is God? Not just when hard stuff happens to you, but when you're trying to do God's will. Because most of us think, man, when I'm trying to do God's will, that's when I'm going to be blessed. Everything's going to be good. It's going to be easy. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that when you're trying to do God's will, you're going to face hardship. You're going to face persecution. You're going to have this hard time, and you're going to go, um, maybe God didn't really send me. Maybe I'm not actually... No, no, you're doing exactly what you're sent to do. You're experiencing exactly what he said would happen. In this world, you will have trouble. And guess what? I'm still sending you. I'm sending you into the trouble. I'm sending you to bear witness in the midst of it. And I want you to press into it. Because you know what? You're going to have trouble, but you know what? You're also going to get accepted. And when people accept you, don't miss this. This is really amazing. When people accept you, you know what they do? They accept me. And when they accept me, you know what they do? They accept God. Isn't that amazing? By, by people accepting you, they're accepting Jesus. They're accepting God because of you. But will you go? Will you go and give them a chance to accept you? Will you actually be around them? Not, not unless you believe that God can work through you. Not unless you believe that he's sovereign. And even with your failings, and even with the hardships, that he can work through you. That's why you need to believe this. So that you can press forward in face of life's general difficulties, 
and so you can press forward in mission. God's sovereignty is a huge drive for mission. But you know what else is a drive for mission? Is that he loves you. And Jesus demonstrates his love in spades in this text. And Shannon's going to unpack that. Jesus is sovereign. He's all-powerful. He knows. And he knows who we are. And despite of all of that, he's still so filled with kindness that he loves us. And as we look at the next couple of, as we look at the next couple of verses, uh, we're going to see how that kindness plays out in a couple of different ways. If you want to look at verse 21, one of you is going to betray me. The disciples were bewildered. They were uncertain. They were all chosen by Jesus. They were the twelve. Think of the things that they have seen. While not in this passage, we do know that the disciples responded with, Is it I? Is it I? And in Matthew 26-25, we know that Judas himself mouths those words. Imagine though you're around the table and Jesus names your specific secret sin outright. One commentator I read said that Judas must have been the perfect actor or the perfect hypocrite. That really hit me hard. Uh, if I think about myself, some days, some weeks. No matter what, things were still unknown to the disciples. Judas would certainly have been dealt with very harshly if they had known right away what was up. It's important to note that the next couple of sentences have so much in them. And it's easy for us to read them just as straightforward narrative to get us to what's coming next. But imagine the picture. And it's not the Last Supper, the Leonardo da Vinci painting. Um, there's more positioning involved. They're not at a table. They're, they're probably on the floor, customarily resting on the left side. Okay? Able to eat with the right side. You've got John, probably, on the right. And that's going to play in here in a minute. And then we're going to see where Judas is in all of that. One of you is going to betray me. And his disciples stared at one of them. And one of them... And one of them, uh, the disciple who Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It's the one whom I give the piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. So you have, you have everybody here at the table like this, and Jesus says something, and, and Peter, being Peter, wants to get to the bottom of it, but he's too far away. So he, says, he, he looks at, at, at John and he goes, and John, being close, leans in. Hey, Jesus, who is it? And Jesus says, it's the one I dipped in the dish. Probably not heard by everyone there. The general opinion here is that the disciple who Jesus loved, this disciple, is in fact John. There was a closeness there. And it's kind of in the way that some of your friends are a little bit closer than others or you have a connection with them in a different way. We will see this later in chapter 19, that this disciple was the lone one of the twelve at the cross. 
And he ends up taking care of Mary later in life. This is not a boastful thing. It's a simple thing. And sometimes the most important thing is simple. Taking his name out of the equation, he simply makes a point that says, Jesus loved him. Think about the song. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. There are a whole lot of words to that, but that's the refrain. And if you believe that, that has impact on your life moving forward. I believe that Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me. What else does the Bible tell us? But now we can look at Jesus' kindness toward Judas. He loves John. John recognizes that love. He turns that love toward Jesus. But here we see some kindness to Judas. He's shown multiple acts of kindness to Judas, even just during this dinner, in the face of what's coming. First, Jesus washed Judas's feet. He served him. He humbled himself despite knowing that Judas was going to betray him. Jesus gave him a seat next to him at the table. It was a place of honor. And we know based on position, probably it was on the left side. So if, if you imagine being on the floor like this, you've got John over here kind of leaning in, hey Jesus, and you dip in, the only way you could go probably positionally was to that left side. And so Judas was at a, a, a point of honor at the table. It's a kindness to him. He was probably on that left side so that Jesus could, were able to reach him comfortably. By offering this, this third bit of kindness is by offering Jesus this bit of bread, Jesus was also symbolically and in a real way offering fellowship. This was customary for the host of the, of the uh, dinner to offer a special bit from the, from the dish. It was a sign of special friendship. But wait. Because we know how all this turns out, in our minds we're going, Judas? Remember that the disciples were used to this. There were many, many meals with Jesus. And this was no red flag for them. It was normal. And this means that Judas had been marked with special affection before. But now we can come back to the idea of the character study. Maybe better put, the spiritual character study. And this is the tragedy in that study. Again and again, Jesus appealed with kindness to Judas, and Judas still coldly moves forward. Are we aware of Jesus' kindness in our lives, or are we coldly resisting, moving forward with our own stuff, with our own goals, with our own motives? Don't blow past that question. I really do think this whole story is a call to some introspection. Especially before we come to the table, right? I mean, in, in our 1 Corinthians passage that Vanessa read, it said we ought to examine ourselves before we come to the table, lest we eat and drink judgment on ourselves. And that, that takes on a whole new poignancy when we think about Judas, right? Judas had seen Jesus he had been with Jesus. He had, he had heard Jesus. He had seen Jesus raise the dead and walk on water and, and heal people. He had seen Jesus do all these amazing things. And, and yet Judas 
betrayed him. Judas ended up demon-possessed, Satan-possessed, and he went into the night. I think that's such a powerful line in the text. And it was night, both literal and figurative. But if Judas could do that, could you? Could I? Could, could I betray Jesus? I, I want to blow past that question because I, I don't like it. Because the truth is, I can. The truth is, I do. I, I do in the way I think and speak and act and in what I don't think and don't do and don't speak. I can betray Jesus in the way I drive out of this parking lot. I can betray Jesus in what I decide to watch this afternoon. I can betray Jesus in the way I treat my family. But notice I say can, not will. And, and if I do, I can repent, I can confess. And, and so I need to examine myself. I need to get introspective, but I want you to notice that, that there's a place that you do this from. And it's by leaning into Jesus. This is not something you go do off on your own. No, this is something you do by leaning into Jesus. And we, we see this in the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? What did he do? He, he literally leaned up against Jesus. Uh, most commentators go, he probably put his head right on Jesus' chest. He got as close to Jesus' heart as he could, and he looked up at him and said, Jesus, who is it? And part of that was, was is it me? He, he got close. He, did, he didn't sit there and go, oh, I could never do that. He didn't sit there and go, I'm, I'm just going to ask other people. He, he, he asked Jesus. He leaned into it. And when you inspect yourselves, do you inspect yourself in light of Jesus' sovereignty and in light of his love? Do you lean into him? I'm really struck that, that this disciple is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Again, we think it's John, but, but because he leaned into Jesus, he knew who he was. He knew he was loved. Because he leaned into Jesus, he knew that Jesus could take care of his sin. Because he, leaned, he was a disciple. Did you notice that line, too? Not just that he knew he was loved and that he loved Jesus, but, but that he was a disciple. What's a disciple? Well, somebody disciplined. He disciplined himself to lean into Jesus. And you can, dis you, you can dis discipline yourselves. Somehow I couldn't say that word. You can discipline yourselves to lean into Jesus, too. You can do it through prayer. You can do it through Bible study. You can do it through coming here because we're, Jesus is here, right? We're two or three gathered and he's here. You can do it through confession. You can do it through repentance. You can do it through here. See, the point of your examination is not to keep you from coming here. This is actually the place from which you do your examination. This is where you lean into Jesus and you hear that he loves you. 
that you are a disciple whom he loved. And this is where you're empowered to choose differently. You're empowered to say, I love you too. So why don't we turn there now? Our, we've seen that God is sovereign. That he works all things for good, even betrayal. We, we, we've seen that he loves. We've been challenged to believe. And we've been called to examine ourselves. And we do that here. If you were here when I made the call to worship, uh, I mentioned Psalm 25. And I think Psalm 25 provides a great way for us to examine ourselves, to have some introspection. We did the first six verses uh, in the call to worship, but I want to use the rest of it now for that, and I want to do it responsibly. So would you join me now? And when we get done with this, I'm going to leave some silence for some personal reflection. And if you want to double-check the text, it might be good to have that in front of you, because I think it is helpful. But now join me in this. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my, and my rebellious, rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right. He teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the, the sake, sake of, of your, your name, name, Lord, forgive, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity, and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver from all their troubles. Amen. Friends, the scriptures tell us that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, which means that you can come to this table pure. You come to this table clean. 
And if you've confessed your sins, I want to invite you to this, our Lord's table. Let me pray. Lord, may you take this bread and this cup from its common and ordinary purpose and set them aside for your holy and mysterious one. Lord, that we might commune with you, that we might lean into you, that we might discover our identity as loved and remember your identity as the great I am, the sovereign God who loves us. Do this and more, for we ask it in your name. Amen. Friends, here again the words of institution is delivered by the Apostle Paul. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that the Lord Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood. Drink of it, all of you. And as often as you do so, do so in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul goes on to say that whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. So now all of you, come, eat, drink, and be filled. Lean into Jesus, because these are the gifts of God for you, the people of God.